0: Hi, I'm Bob Switzer, and this is the epic narrative. And we're back. <laughs> the story continues. There you go. Well, I I uh, I know last time we last last whatever i don't know how long it's been but the last time i was at the microphone i mentioned uh in the story of david and goliath that david took the head of goliath to jerusalem and i really believe that that's because he got an insight from god of a word of knowledge a revelation from heaven god spoke to david in an amazing way but i well actually I, all that's true i just said it in funny ways but with a funny voice, but, uh, yeah. And so I think he went there because I believe God told him that's the city that I told Moses about that, that there would be a city with my name on it and that's the city. And what's interesting is that the, the city at the time, uh, wasn't even named Jerusalem. It was like, um, Jebi, Jebu, Jebu, Jebu. Basically, they were they were Canaanites that had survived the um, the taking of the Promised Land by by Joshua, and they lived in the city and they held it and they held it in such a way that we'll see later. Like when when David goes to free the city, like they they laughed at him. It, it was it was kind of like um, the attitude of. Of, um oh, I'm thinking of uh the the Lord of Lord of the Rings when uh they went to Minotaeth what was the name of that king I know people are freaking out right it was King duh oh, it was the guy that was possessed with wormwood and and uh and and oh golly anyways they went they went to their stronghold right they went to their stronghold impenetrable Ben Never been, you know, penetrated for thousands of, of years, but uh, clearly it was, and it, you know, that's an awesome story, man. That's an epic, but the people in in uh, Jebu, Jebu uh, were known as Jebusites, and they had that kind of attitude. So when David went to take the city, they approached it that way. They were like, yeah, you're funny. <laughs> Like we we literally could defend our city with handicapped people. That's how that's how confident we are that you're not coming in here. And if you want to know what happened, you'll have to listen to the rest of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't get there today. Sweet Jesus, no. We are taking our time. Glory. Just having a good time. I did listen back to uh, to one of my podcasts recently, and I realized that uh, there's <laughs> – I've, I've got to get better at, telling, at being a podcaster because I have way too many pauses, I think. And I'm sure it's because in a lot of ways I want to choose my words carefully, and in other ways I'm making facial expressions of which you don't know. So I was thinking, well, maybe I should start doing these maybe after the story of David. Maybe I'll do another one. I've already wanted to start moving into Genesis and Exodus because I think there's so much misunderstanding about the wrath of God and God killing everyone and the genocide that occurs in the promised land, which I kind of just referenced. But it's, it's, you know, God gets credit for all that. I don't think he deserves any. Oh, no, Bob, you blasphemer. The Bible says, hey, stay tuned. Stay tuned. I'll work my way around. I'll work my way through this. Just stay with me. Do not walk away. Just say, "What if? What if some of what he says might might work?" Anyways, so stay with me. And if nothing else, just enjoy the story. You don't have to. You don't have to like my theology. It's just a story. It's a fun, amazing story that you can you can identify and work through so many issues when you when you understand the narrative, when you work through the narrative. And that's why I believe this: the Bible was inspired with all of these stories because God was like, I could just make a list of stuff to do, dot to do blah, 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 blah. But that's not my point. My point is it's life, it's relationship, it's connection. And this is how this, this is how we roll. So, sorry. So the, the, we're, we're now in first Samuel 18. Oh, Why did I start? Oh, because of the Jebusites. That's right. So I believe David went there with the head. And again, I I just I, I I love the visual in my mind. I know I don't necessarily always do a great job of describing, but that whole scene in my head of David walking down the road with the head of Goliath that's literally like split in two with a with a rock, and just that whole scene, and the Jebusite's looking at him, wondering what in the world is going on, and then he just tosses it at the city gate and walks away, because I don't think he went into the city for this reason. He knew in his heart, this is the city that I'm going to take for God. This is This is it. God's going to reside here. It's going to be pretty awesome. But it's not mine yet, and he walked away. now, i don't I don't know if he knew he was gonna be the one who took it, but I do believe he understood that one day that city would belong to the nation, and God would be honored there. All right, so first Samuel eighteen. So after David finished talking with Saul, huh, I love that. Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as himself. Okay, okay, okay. So that first phrase, okay, after David finished talking to Saul. This is, this is one of those opportunities that we get to use our imaginations again. This is so awesome. So David's talking to Saul. When did this occur? Well, it, it happened after he killed Goliath, after they pursued the Philistines, after David had walked to Jebu or Jerusalem and dropped the head off. After he returned from that city, went through the tent of Goliath, took his weapons and his tunic, and carried it all back to his personal tent, and probably got himself a little cleaned up from all of his travels, because he had been all over the place, in the desert, on the hills, in the forest, traveling with along the roadside so there was a lot of dust from the carts and the animals and the other people that were there and I'm sure many who would look at him weird and be like what what What? what's this and I'm sure some curious ones and maybe some kids were like hey where'd that head come from that sort of thing so he's had this long uh, day and I think he went to talk to Saul probably the next day I don't I don't see this happening in in you know just a few hours this was it because of the phrasing in the previous chapter where it says and they pursued the Philistines all day I think David was a part of that all day thing and then he slept in the tent and then he went he was you know presented to saul and saul basically was like tell me everything review for me what like how now that I know who you are, now that I know the family you come from, I want to know what brought you here. I want to know the whole story. So I think I think David started way back because this is why. I think David is a, an artist. He's a musician, he's a storyteller, he's a songwriter. Yes, he is a warrior, he is passionate, he is good-looking, he is young, I think he's a talker. Uh and and I guess because I'm also a storyteller, I just don't picture David telling this in a short soundbite like, well, you know, I knew God was on my side. Um I felt like I was called uh into into this into this time, you know, for such a time as this and Uh, God was with me and I figured if I die, I die. But if I don't, then we all win and, and boom, you know, I'm pretty good with a sling. Uh, practiced a lot as a shepherd and boom. Yeah. Killed him, killed the guy. And then, you know, I cut off his head because that was cool. I don't think it went like that because of what happened when he was done talking, Jonathan, became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. There was, there was a, there was an interaction. There was a, a weaving of lives together here. The heart of David was seen. And I believe he started with, uh, yes, I am a, a son of Jesse, but you know, that wasn't always, um, always agreed upon. <laughs> you see, uh, how do, how do I say this? So my dad, had seven sons, and uh, actually three of them are here. Uh, we're here with the army. I think they already headed home with all their plunder. But uh, you know, because Saul was probably like, "Well, go get them. We'll honor them too." And he's kind of like, "Yeah, we don't get along great." You see, this whole thing with my, my... Okay, so this is a long story, but this is how it goes. And he and he told them, "My dad rejected me. My dad treated me and raised me as a servant in the house, not necessarily a slave, although I know that some would." would make those two words equal servants servants were closer to employees slaves were were not slaves but they could be it's complicated right because it's relational and it was culturally normal it wasn't just one race of people that would be turned into slaves you would you could make a decision to be a servant for a particular household because it meant you got you got to sleep in a nice house, and you got to, well. You know, you were taken care of. To be a servant in certain homes in certain, uh, you know, uh, family groupings was a good thing. Slaves in the in Israel, you were only. You know, you were a slave, but only for uh, six years. The seventh year was always a year of jubilee. You were freed. So again, it wasn't uh, it, it, it was not slavery in that what uh, like what America did uh, Europeans did to Africans. Um, I, I, so definitions are important. I just wanted to throw that out. So he's like, my dad treated me like a servant. I was raised in the servant quarters. I was you know I ate and drank, slept with the servants. I was I was trained as a shepherd. Um, as a young boy, you know, that's where, that's where my training was. So I was going to be a shepherd my whole life and my father's, um, family for my fam- father's family. He never claimed me until, until Samuel came along. Oh, Samuel. And David's probably thinking, Oh, maybe, maybe not the best time to tell this guy that I was anointed the next King of Israel, but it was a significant day in, De- in David's life. And I'm sure he told him about his mom. His mom, you know, reminded him, You are his son. You are the son of Jesse. I know I bore you. He he put you in me. I know you're his. He doesn't like it because we basically tricked him on the wedding night, but you are his. And so David knew it. And it it didn't necessarily make things easier because it actually probably at times made it worse like he probably at times wished he never knew that he was he was actually Jesse's son and I thought about the mom you know the other day and I thought I I could totally see the mom uh, as she became aware of David's strengths and his um, his friendliness and his good looks and his musical abilities, like she would, as as a woman, she would have, and and especially the the matron of the household, she would have been aware of all the servants. Like she would have been in their quarters. She would have been in their, for lack of a better term, their dining tent, you know, where they ate and they made sure that they were cared for. That would have been under her jurisdiction. So her ability to stay interactive with her son was there, although she couldn't show favoritism and, and cause that kind of trouble there were there were many times i'm sure where she she made you know choices that i'm sure were hurtful to david because she chose to go you know to be with jesse and her other sons it 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 had to be it was it had to be a very complicated weird dynamic of a of a family to live in for david and so all of those layers are getting expressed to saul and but i i was thinking about the mom and i could totally see her um listening at night when David is out with, you know, on duty, so to speak, out with the other shepherds, spending the night in the fields, which they would do many, many times. But if you've ever been camping, and I trust many of you have, you know that when people talk, uh, next, you know, in the next campsite over, it's incredibly loud. It's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, there's times... I don't camp a lot, but there was a season where we, we had a camper and our, you know, we take our four kids and we'd go out into the camping world and it was, it was fun. It was fun for the season, but there were, there were times where like people were, it's seemed like they were literally in our campsite making noise. And they were like, you know, three roads over and, and seven campsites down. You're like, my gosh, how does that, how, how, I swear they're right outside my fight, like around my fire pit, having a party. And I have no doubt I did that to other people, not because I wanted to. I wasn't trying to be loud, but you know, I, I'm an early riser. So I'd be up at four five o'clock, I'd start the fire and I'd be, you know, in inadvertently kind of banging around. Cause that's what I, you know, that's what you have to do when you start a fire. And I'd, And I have no doubt that there were people that were trying to sleep that had been up, you know, past midnight around their fires. And they're like, why is that man up? What is going on? Tell him to stop chopping wood. But, you know, I felt the same way about them three hours earlier. So all that to say what, Bob, my goodness, you cannot make this a simple illustration, can you? Oh, that's right. So I just think mom heard him playing. I I totally could see her, um, you know, late at night, hearing a small little dance party going on out in the wilderness with David strumming a lair and, and uh, other other. Uh, you know, somebody's playing percussions even if they can't. There's always somebody who likes to thump on things, so thumping on a log or banging rocks together. Uh, somebody making a shaker out of a clay pot and some, and some stones, like, you know, that was going on, not every night, but periodically. And I just picture her with a big smile on her face and she laid there or she would walk out into the hill a little bit so she could hear him a little more. And she would, she would think, God, please, God, please make a way, make a way for that boy. He it does not deserve what he's getting. He doesn't deserve this kind of rejection. I I just do. I just do. I just think she was there, even though, even though, uh, circumstantially, 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 even though there were times where David even felt rejection from his mother because she would not treat him special or she would tell him what to do, um, and not give a wink or a smile. And there were times where, the you know, I'm sure her father, his father would would see her talking to him and would call her, and she would turn and walk away, right away, as though he was just a servant, and that had to hurt. That had to hurt. So David's talking with Saul. She, he describes the rejection, the 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 hurt that his father caused, and I think Saul is really tracking with this guy because he's had a very i believe a very difficult childhood where a father who was very seemed very difficult to please a father that he had often disappointed and was left um left without the dreams that he might wanted to have pursued he he ended up you know doing what he was told and being who who he was expected to be, and that's exactly the position he's in now. And David's life probably began to sound like such a, a place of freedom, this breath of fresh air, this 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 boy who had um you know had terrible terrible circumstances and yet pursued life and pursued hope and pursued uh love and music and art and warfare. And I mean, he just, he had everything going for him. And I think Saul began to fall in love with this guy because when you're without an identity and you see somebody who you kind of start to track with, you start to think, I want to be like this person. They are who I, uh, who I am. Like sometimes you look at them and you think, no, no, that's me. That's me. I'm just like you. I think Saul might have had some of those moments and listening to David. I've had people tell that to me sometimes. And and I, I kind of chuckle because I think in my head, every time someone said that to me, I thought, D- there's no way you're like me. Like, there's just no way. <laughs> but I appreciate the fact that in their own way, they're trying to say, uh, and usually it has to do with telling stories. They'd be like, yeah, I tell stories. I'm just, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I'm funny and I tell stories. And I think, you know, no. Okay. Like, I kind of doubt it. Like there's, it's an art. Like everybody does this differently. We're not alike, but that's okay. There was something about, you know, what I was saying that made them feel really connected to who, to an identity that they have or to a, a processing that they have. And I think Saul felt that way about David. I think he looked at David and thought, I could be this guy. I could pursue the type of freedom, hope and love relationship, I, I I could be like this guy. I this is amazing. He's an amazing man. And then I'm sure David wove in all that he knew about his connections to heaven and and these wonderfully intense mystical experiences that he had with God and and just the music that would come out of him and the lyrics that would come out of him and 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 all that way he finally gets to the place he gets to the place, you know, where he says, and so my dad sent me to bring some food for the brothers. So I brought the cheese and the wheat and uh, I forget something else he brought. And then I heard, you know, I heard the the rush of of men being going down into the field and I I went with them and then I heard what Goliath was saying and I started talking to the men like what is going on? Why why are we taking this and they told me what would happen if if someone took on goliath and i thought i can do that like not that i can do that but like who wouldn't do that who wouldn't want to take on somebody who's defying the living god and that's why i think he told them all about his connection to heaven i think he told them about the connection to heaven because that's what that's what motivated him to take on Goliath. It was not about ego. It was not about the the rewards. It was not about pride. I guess that would be ego. You just repeated yourself. That's ok. it It was not about uh, it, it just it was all about his passion for heaven. Like I think if Goliath had only attacked the men's character, like if he told called them all wimps, if he called them all, you know worms and maggots and and poop like whatever like if he just made fun of them and their families and their wives and their kids and their I don't know if David David would have would have like had the kind of response he did but the fact that Goliath went after God and David had had such an intense relationship with God like he had he had already he not only experienced being loved by God, but he was living in a place where he knew he was loved, where he knew he was accepted. And that, to have that attacked, when that was probably the only place that David felt loved was in the presence of God and his lifestyle of staying connected to the presence of God, to have that attacked, like that is that is not going to happen. And that's exactly why he went after goliath he did not pursue it for any other reason and so i believe that in talking to saul all of that gets woven in because that's that was his motive and saul seeing a boy that he could trust a young man that was passionate a young man that that could that could be brought into the palace that wasn't quote family that wasn't politics that wasn't his dad's friends who needed a favor that wasn't another nation trying to look for a way to influence Saul this was a man a young man who who was filled with creativity filled with hope this this was like a light in the darkness Saul was like you are awesome and Jonathan Listens to all that, and he becomes one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And I, I know that this phrasing gets twisted. I believe it gets twisted into a homosexual uh, relationship for David and Jonathan, because people like you know they like to do that. It's an intense phrasing in, in Hebrew. There's there's no way around it. It is very intense it does not mean homosexual but it is intense it is intimate it is no small matter he fell in love with what david carried he was he was like this this boy this friend this 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 person this guy i absolutely love this guy Everything about him, I track with. Because you got to remember, right? What did Jonathan do? Jonathan took on the Philistines in a David Goliath type of scene, right? He takes on 100,000 people. That's a lot. That's a pretty big giant. He takes them on and he wins and inspires the, the army. And they pursue the Philistines and pillage uh you know everything they left behind so jonathan tracked with the heart of david his heart for god his passion for god right what why did jonathan go after those philistines because he said if god is for us who can be against us of course we'll win what what why wouldn't we win yeah so to hear david tell this whole long story about why he was so passionate about going after the philistine Jonathan felt that as well. He felt it deeply and probably in some ways was thinking, wow, that's even more than me because I heard this guy make fun of God for 40 days. And so he not only sees himself in David, he sees somebody he can look up to in David, somebody who's closer and more passionate about God than even he is. It, it was inspirational. And Jonathan's like, wow, I love this guy. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as as, as himself. So that day, what, I don't know how long it took. And again, this is why I think it did not take place on the same day as the death of Goliath and the pursuit of the Philistines and the trip to Jerusalem and all of that. I think it took place on its own day. And it would not have been something that that would have happened like, oh, David's done telling a story. Oh, okay, well, now you're never going home again. There would have been other members of uh, the royalty there. I'm sure Abner was there, right, the, the, the general of the armies. I have no doubt that he wanted to hear David's story and was a part of that. D- uh, Saul's father might have been there as well. And, and maybe, I mean, Jonathan was there. His other two brothers might have been around. The other princes, so to speak, were probably um, all all part of the royal family. They would have been there. Like there was more than just three guys in the room when this whole story took place. And I have no doubt that David's ability to tell the story was very enrapturing and in. Enth- and, and drew everybody in and they all track with them. Even if they had great relationships with their families, there was something about the way that David told the story that made people go, Oh my God. Like I could feel that I could feel the anger. I can feel the rejection. I can feel the frustration. I can feel the darkness. And yet I could also feel the hope and the love and the adoration toward God and from God. And Oh man, this was such a great story. And it was just David's life and they all fell in love with him so Saul kept David with him and i'm sure that what i mean by saying i don't think this happened flippantly i think that he he was like david i i want you to be a part of my cabinet like i i don't i don't want you going back and forth home because part of david's story would have been hey so like a year ago i got an invitation to the palace to play songs and saul's like oh that's where I've heard your voice before. You're the lair player. Yeah, I'm the lair player. Oh my gosh, you are so good. And I'm sure that there were little side stories that would go on about how Saul was like, you know, I get, your music means so much to me. You have no idea what that does. And David was like, oh, thanks. You know, you're, you're, you have no much, how much that means to me. I love, I love worshiping God. I love singing songs to him. And, and I, you know, I taught myself to play the lair because I had nothing else to do all night long out on the fields. And there was a, uh, you know, some shepherds that knew how to play. And like, there, there was all these little side stories that would have taken place once Saul figured out that they were kind of sort of in the same, there were acquaintances before, not that, it, you know. Saul didn't really even know David's last, like he didn't know whose son he was, and that's what that's why he had to ask Abner after uh, after Goliath was killed. He was like, uh, "Where's that kid from? What's that family that I that's now tax exempt? That's what he, that's what he needed to know. We need to make sure that this this family this this boy gets rewarded like I promised because uh, he just killed the giant." So all of that's going on. And he's like, David, I don't want you to leave. I want you to, I want you to work here for me. And then I think he probably had a conversation with Abner because Abner's thinking, uh, it would be great morale booster for the, for the army. If this guy got a, you know, if we gave him a position within the troops, because he's now like a giant killer, Like this is a big freaking deal and it means a lot. And the legend is going to go all over the nation and probably had already started to, you know, to spread, not, not just the nation of Israel, but it spread through the nation of of Philistines as well, all up and down the seacoast and in the trade markets, there the stories of David and Goliath kept going and going and going and would have for years. And so I'm guessing Abner's, thinking this would be great. Let's put him in the, you know, put him in the military. Uh, Saul's good with that. It puts him in a, you know, uh, he gives him a position. And Jonathan makes a covenant with David. Now, now what, is, what does that mean? It means that, that uh, you know, because it says, uh, because he loved him as himself, he's he's calling David a member of the family. Now, this is huge for David because Saul at this time takes on the role of a father who loves him a father who appreciates the passions that that david has appreciates his music appreciates his lyrics appreciates his storytelling appreciates his 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 uh war warrior, warrior attitude his appreciates his courage appreciates his his um uh, His physical strength appreciates his good looks like everything about David at this point is being appreciated by a father figure and the king. So David is connecting for the maybe for the first time to an adult male figure and it feels amazing. And then in the same room is a peer, somebody who is about the same age, somebody who is literally like a brother who loves David and he loves him as himself he loves him as part of the family he loves him in an intense intimate way that says i'm never going to be disloyal to you i'm never going to leave you i will always be with you these are words and attitudes that that david should have been hearing from seven other guys in the nation his seven brothers and he never heard it from any of them so jonathan and Saul take on roles in David's life that are intense places of connection, intense places of relationship that David had been longing for, longing for, for a long, long time. And in that, Jonathan makes a covenant with David. And covenants covenants are things that that are designed to go for lifetimes. They're designed to be between nations or families that says that 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 says everything I have is yours if you lose everything then I take care of you like everything of mine is yours so if I have a million dollars and you have a million dollars and we have a covenant and then you lose a million dollars you don't have to worry because my million is yours and if you lose my million that's fine because we're in covenant and covenants support one another and love one another and are loyal to one another above all circumstances and resources there's a it's a relational connection that's why God made marriage a a covenant event not a contractual event and not a uh, an event of convenience a covenant event says this is relational circumstances and resources are not what we are what we're after although you know Granted, when you're in relationship, resources and and uh, circumstances are going to probably work together with you. But it, uh, all that to say, it was intense. David's David's connection to Jonathan was, um, was was intense. Everything there in that room for that day became it. It, it turned David's life around into the positive. He was no longer going to go home. What did that mean? You were no no longer going to live in a place of rejection. You're no longer going to live in a place where resources are available to you at the discretion of people who reject you. You are going to live in a palace. You are going to have authority. You're not going to go home where you're just a servant and what you say doesn't, doesn't matter if you're even allowed to say anything. You're going to be in a place where your voice matters, where what you say, people are going to listen to When you give a command, it will be obeyed because you are going to have a role in the palace. You're going to be part of the government of the nation. This is a huge, big, freaking day for David. I bet you he was in tears most of the day, just weeping over how much reversal is going on in his life. How much joy he was having. How many times did he just praise God? He just had nothing else to say except hallelujah. He had nowhere else to go with all the emotion that was going on in him. It had to be wicked intense. (laughs) (laughs) And Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. So what does the robe and staff mean? It means you are family and you have influence. The tunic, the robe, the, the, the what, what else did I want? Oh, the robe, the tunic, uh, the sword, the bow, his belt, everything about it basically said David is equal to a prince in Jerusalem, uh, not in Jerusalem, in Israel. David is equal to me. David and I are brothers. Saul was in agreement with this, right? This would not have been done in a vacuum. Saul was saying, "David is a son to me." This had to be—I mean, this—this this whole event had to be pretty, pretty crazy. When word got back to Jesse, it, honestly, I—I I, I mean, this had to be, this had to be insane. Jesse, the other three sons, right, the three older older ones, they come back from war with a bunch of plunder from the Philistines. Word had probably already gotten back to the village through runners and through others that were that were just faster than these guys that were probably in their thirties or forties. Word gets back to Jesse that the you know battle's been won, uh, that Goliath was killed. And he might have even heard that there was a servant, a servant boy who killed Goliath with a sling. And Jesse's probably at the very least doing a little bit of the math and the timeline and thinking, "Mm, wait a minute. That can't, can't be David. It can't be. I mean, I mean, I know he knows how to do the sling. Uh, he's pretty good at it from what I hear, but, uh, and then the three sons arrive and he's like, please come sit with me. Talk to me immediately. I need to know what's going on. And they were like, oh, dad, you're not going to believe what happened. Why did you send David? Like they're I think they're still pissed <laughs> I do. I think they're still pissed. They were pissed at David when all David was doing was motivating the troops and telling people he'd go after Goliath. That pissed them off, right? Now they get home. I think they're still pissed. Why? Because when you're a victim, it doesn't matter what happens. You're still a victim. And I think they looked at their dad and they were like, you did this to us. You sent David with cheese and wheat and you could have sent anybody. Why did you send David? And he's like, I, uh, tell me what happened. Well, he shows up and and, you know, Rather than watching those sheep that he should have been watching he, he that's where you should have left him in the fields because that's where he deserves to be and now he goes he goes out in the field like with a with a sling, gets one lucky shot, one lucky shot. there's no way that he he could do that given another thousand chances. David would never hit the head of that Goliath he would have been crushed under the under the fifteen pound spearhead, but no, he hits Goliath in the head, and he runs up and cuts off. Cuts off his head and and then we win. So we pursued, you know, we got all this great plunder, blah, 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 blah. I'm sure that story took for a while. And then we loaded up the cards and we came here. And now, now David is part of the government. David. I mean, the oldest son is probably thinking of all people that are part of the government, it should be me. David got anointed the next king of Israel. Fine, whatever. No one believes him, anyways. But now Saul's made him part of the government. He was in in the, the the throne tent, the the royal tent. There you go. He was in the royal tent all day telling stories. We left. There was no way we were staying. We didn't need to hear that kind of those kind of lies. No, I, no way. Now Saul thinks he's all like this brave courageous hero and now he's going to put him in the government. Great. What do you think David's going to do now? He's coming for us, Dad. He's coming for us. You know he is. Now maybe maybe uh you know the royal messenger showed up before them and said, "Hey, by the way, because your son David beat Goliath, you're now tax-free." Maybe he knows this already. Maybe he doesn't. But either way, either way I I believe that the brothers are thinking david's coming after them that there'll be some sort of reparations some sort of payback because david now is in a position of authority there are that they, they don't know where what he's going to be in charge of because that shows up probably in a you know in a couple weeks after every, all the camp has broke down and they and they end up back at the palace but but they know that that if it was them they would pursue them. They would. They would have payback. They're thinking of think. Think of think of every insult, every disgusting thing you made that servant do. Every time that he tried to, uh, even do what was within his right as a servant to do, but you saw it and you shut it down. Drink the water at a certain time. Get a glass of wine. Have have leftover uh, lamb or, or whatever goat from from a banquet and you would just say no you're you're not allowed to eat that like and you'd laugh and and walk away you as a a brother would have thought we're protected from any sort of of repercussions because he's not our brother he's not our brother and we're going to show dad that we honor him we're going to show dad that we believe him we're going to show dad that his version of the truth is the truth we're going to go with and they pursued this their whole David's whole life so whatever whatever number of years that was the, the whole time they rejected him rejected him rejected him rejected him, made fun of him mocked him, told stories about him so that the drunks in town would tell story would sing songs about him they told stories and lies about him when they were sitting on the on the elder seats at the gate of the city along with their father and they would laugh they at the family banquets they would tell stories about all kinds of stuff but somebody always had something to say about something quote stupid that David would do his stupid songs his terrible uh musical abilities uh you know the 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 time that that he you know he let a lion steal a lamb they would skip the part that he ran after the lion and ripped his head off and and tore the lamb from his from the from the jaws of the lion they'd skip that part they would just say, he's such an idiot, he let a lion take a lamb. Like, you can't hear a lion sneaking up on you. I mean, any idiot can 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 hear a lion. Or a bear, right? Remember that time he let the bear in? A stupid idiot. He's such a stupid... Dad, why do we still have that stupid slave around David? Why don't we get rid of him? And and I'm sure Jesse's thinking, because your mother won't let me. <laughs> I think that probably was a bottom line. Like Like, I think in her mind... They, fine, you want to raise him as a servant, fine, but he's not leaving this household. I kind of think that was a conversation that probably happened right after the birth when Jesse had already made fun of the mother and accused her of sleeping with somebody else. And when that birth came in and, and he came in, I think she probably said, you look at me. This is your child. And I don't care if you don't accept him. You do not let him leave this house. And that's what I think happened. In my own little way, that's the way I see it happening. If I was telling, if I was writing a movie script, that's the way it would go down. Not that it, you can prove it one way or the other, but that's the way I think it went down. And I think these brothers were nervous. I think, you know, they they lived in a culture of fear because of the the way that Saul was leading to begin with. But now I think they really were afraid because their brother was now being recognized and placed in a in a in a position where his authority. And his words could could mean trouble for them. He could shut down trade deals. He could shut down uh, real estate deals, right? And royalty, a king could request your land. You had to give it to him. Or you had to work the land and give the resources back to the palace. Like They could totally see David wiping out their, their herds, wiping out their crops, turning them into, hmm, what would you call that? oh servants servants of the king oh i'm telling you they they spiraled out of control spiraled into uh, into such negative uh mindsets it had honestly it had to be a little bit comical by the end of it and i'm sure the dad is just like he's just rocking back and forth on sitting on the pillow uh you know they're 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 losing their appetite they're drinking wine. I'm sure the mother is hearing what's happened at this point because the servants that are coming in and out of the out of the eating tent are bringing words back to the kitchen and telling the the matron, which was not unusual, right? They would report things. I'm guessing she might have even listened in a little bit, and part of her, I'm sure, is pretty happy to hear about how well David's doing and the fact that God had made a way. A prayer that she had prayed on the you know hilltops, listening to him sing and dance. Or, or just sing, maybe, I mean, not all the songs were happy. There were times she just, and she just was like, God, make a way, make a way for this boy. There's no way he deserves this, and and God made a way. He made a way, and she's probably thinking, this is awesome, and then she's also thinking, uh, this could get bad, actually. No, this, yeah, no, they have a point. They do have a point. He could do something bad, or he could make it difficult he could definitely impact the family's ability to make a living and to be wealthy he he could spread rumors now in positions that would actually you know devastate jesse and turn him into something that is a mockery in the in the village Oh, this this had to be crazy time in this in the tent back at Jesse's house. This had to be crazy time. And all of this, all of this is probably a week after David kills Goliath. Like, that's, that's when that conversation is happening. So there's, in their minds, by the time they get home and they have these conversations and they meet again the next day and they talk a little bit more, like, do you think, I mean, do you really think he'd do that? Do you, I mean you know, by the next day, I think they're probably thinking, you know, we weren't always mean to him. I mean, there were times that, I mean, weren't we, weren't there times that we were nice to him and they'd come up with a couple and then some of the, because now they brought in all the brothers, right? All, all the, uh, the three that showed up, brought the other three in and all the wives are talking in another 10 and they're talking in their 10 and they're trying to come up with ways that they could kind of make things not so bad for David, maybe send him a message, maybe send him um you know, a gift, uh, let him congratulate him on his new new position. It had to be a, a very complicated and interesting interactions amongst Jesse's family at that time. And then this, the third day, or second day back, and then the third day back, and then the fourth day back, and they keep waiting for a messenger from the king. They keep waiting for a royal decree. They keep waiting for maybe someone from the army to show up and recruit servants for uh, you know for the army, you know to take care of the army men. Not not give them positions in the army, like you would if you liked your brothers and you got a position in the army. No, but to make them servants in the army, guys that were doing the cooking, the cleaning, the latrine digging, that sort of thing. They were waiting. I think they were waiting, you know, for weeks. And then they were discussing, well, maybe David's setting us up. Maybe this is just his way of dragging this out to to a time that we eventually, you know, uh, when it finally happens, like it's going to be really bad. Like he's putting together something really, really bad. We should have done something. We should have been nicer. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. This is terrible. Oh, dad, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they waited. What's awesome is... They waited a long time because David never did it. David was so convinced of the of the pursuit of God, so convinced of the connection with heaven, he didn't need to pay anyone back. He appreciated the journey. David appreciated the journey. The passion for the journey is one of the ways that that I think God speaks to so many people. When all you do is, is um, wait for the next bad thing to happen, you miss the beauty of the moment. And David's ability to live in the moment meant that David had a beautiful, he had, a, he had beautiful memories from his childhood. And yeah, he could, if he wanted to, could focus on all the bad stuff. And we see that in a lot of the Psalms that, that he would write. He starts out with all the bad stuff but he always ends with the good stuff because that's where he lands that's where he spends his time he doesn't deny that the that the bad stuff happened he just denies it the power over him he denies it a position where it's going to influence the way he looks at life and that's a big deal to deny negative circumstances and negative re, uh, relationships a position of power in your life. And I believe David did that. I believe David had it right. Huh, that was probably one of those long pauses, right? I'm going to catch that when I listen to it. <laughs> that was a dramatic pause. Why, thank you very much. It certainly was dramatic. Yeah, it'd be nice if we could see your face, though. Well, you keep telling friends about this podcast. We get this podcast big enough. Boom. Boom. Maybe I can afford to get a studio and put up an iPhone (laughs) to take my picture while I'm talking. But meanwhile, feel free to stop by my uh, Bob Thoughts page if you want to see what I look like. There's lots of opportunities uh, to see all kinds of views of me, at least of my face. Not all the views of me, but because I do those thoughts in all kinds of places, different times of days, different hairstyles. All right, uh, I'm gonna end there. Actually, I think it's good, and we'll uh, we'll end there. We're gonna pick up, pick it up. Oh my gosh, everything is so good right now. And then, baby, does it go bad? So till then, thanks for stopping by. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Epic Narrative. If you have questions for Bob or would like to reach out for booking, please email us at thebobswitzer at gmail.com or visit thebobswitzer.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Epic Narrative podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. See you next week for another chapter in our story on The Epic Narrative.